welcome to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. I am Axel Addy, former chief negotiator of Liberia's accession to the WTO and founding member of the Trade for Peace program. Trade for Peace is a 30-minute podcast in conversation with Trade for Peace champions, the global policymakers, entrepreneurs, and innovators committed to promoting trade as a key ingredient for lasting peace. Join us in our bi-monthly podcast as we discuss how trade is contributing to sustainable peace in fragile and conflict-affected countries. Welcome to Trade for Peace. Today, on our first episode of our segment, Trade for Peace, Stories from the Frontline, we are joined by two champions, Ms. Manisha Wafek and Mr. Sonza Cocker. Manisha is the co-founder and president of Afghanistan Women Chamber of Commerce and Industry. She is currently in her 12th year of teaching peace through business at the Institute of Economic Empowerment of Women, where she has taught and mentored over 350 Afghan businesswomen in Kabul. She also co-founded several organizations to advocate for women's economic empowerment including the Peace Through Business Network, and also leading entrepreneurs for Afghanistan's development, lead, and Wonderland Women. Business she co-founded with her sister, Sanya, to produce and promote Made in Afghanistan textile. She is best known for her remarkable achievement in establishing the Afghanistan's Women Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the AWCCI and convincing the government to include a 5% preference clause in national public procurement procedures and 15 to 25% allocation for SMEs and women-owned businesses in the National Industrial Parks policy. She is a trailblazer for women in business and a true trade for peace champion on the front line of changing the Afghanistan narrative. Our second guest, Mr. Sunzar Cocker is the chairman of Afghanistan Holding Group, a 12-year-old private firm with over 350 Afghan professionals serving over 700 international organizations. He too is blazing the trail of innovative investing through several transformative ventures, including internet service provider Afghanet, e-payment solutions, Hisab, and a private school, Mezan. Sanzar started in Afghanistan as an investment associate in ACAP Partners, a 20 million venture capital facility and sourcing over 300 new deals for considerations. He has held several other roles since, including as economic advisor for Afghanistan Investment Climate Facility, where he supported the setting up of a 30 million pounds grant facility in Kabul. Anisha and Sanzar, I'm honored to have you as our guest today. You are the true champions of trade for peace. Your trailblazing work in Afghanistan is changing the narrative of an Afghanistan at peace with itself and its neighbors. Thank you both for joining us today and welcome to Trade for Peace. Let me start with a question i like to ask all of our guests. And I would like to start with you, Manisha. What does trade for peace mean to you? 
Thank you very much, Axel and Trade for Peace podcast and the listeners for listening this episode. We are very thrilled to be with all of you and sharing the stories of Afghanistan with all of you. Trade and Peace, Axel, means for me that trade and investment can create peace, can create prosperity, and can help people um, upgrade their living standards by creating jobs and giving pace to um, people in various communities. And I learned this uh, very well in 2007 when I attended the program Peace Through Business for six weeks in the United States. And this program was specifically um, founded for Afghan women to train Afghan women in business and provide them mentorship with business and how to run their businesses successfully. And their philosophy was that uh, if there are businesses, businesses can create jobs and uh, jobs are healthy engagements for the citizens. And this way, peace can be established, peace can be maintained and sustained. This program, Peace Through Business, since 2007 and 2008, when I started teaching for this program and mentoring businesswomen, and I've, I've continued until today, which is this year, 2021, was the 15th year of this program. And we have continued teaching businesswomen in Afghanistan, more than 500 of them in Kabul and another 18 provinces. So we've covered like 19 provinces in Afghanistan. Majority of today's Afghanistan Women's Chamber of Commerce and Industries leadership are graduates of this program. And so what I want to share is that such programs that are long-term and have some vision and um, some philosophy like, like this program, it leads to institutions like ours, like the Afghanistan Women's Chamber of Commerce and Industry, because we were very much taught and our focus was grabbed into the importance of policy advocacy in a country. When you run a business, you have to be politically involved and you have to be involved in changing policies for your interests and reflecting your concerns in the policies. Otherwise, policies and politics will run your businesses. This was the main theme as well. And what we learned and what we made us to come together, establish various entities, and finally came to establishing our Women's Chamber of Commerce and Industry, which helped us to pave the way or uh, make the business environment better for women-owned businesses in the country. And a number of policy changes that you mentioned in my introduction, like 5% preferential clause in the uh, national procurement, which are all really historical and uh, had not happened before this. This is the first time, for example, in the last two, three years that women are being government's contractors. This is quite a remarkable achievement, Manisha. And congratulations to you and the women of the Women Chamber of Commerce of Afghanistan. And also congratulations to the government, because this is quite progressive. For the government to set aside public procurement opportunities for women in business in Afghanistan, that's new. That's a new phenomenon. And, and I want to congratulate you and your leadership. But I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering, you know, how were you able to pull this off to convince government or a public procurement set aside for women uh, in business. How are we able to achieve this? So you have to be always ready with your arguments. You have to have really strong base evidences from other countries, as well as legal support from your own country's laws and regulations, and very strong arguments for your um, case when you present it to government, as well as to any other, if you need uh, their support. For women's empowerment, you always need some male champions if you're in a male-dominant society like Afghanistan. And in our case, we were lucky that 
Afghanistan's president, Dr. Ashraf Ghani, was and is a female champion. And I quote him that he's the only leader in Afghanistan who does not say that women are our mothers, sisters, and daughters, and that's why we have to respect them or we have to give them their share. He always says that women are human beings. They're as men, we have to really give them their shares. They have to be part of everything. And he's against really relating women to men, like describing them as women are sisters, daughters, and some family members of a man in order to be respected and given their shares. So when we really started our case with changing leading entrepreneurs for Afghanistan's development, a lead, which was a women business association that we had started back in 2014. When we started presenting our case to the president through his wife, the first lady, who is also a champion, of course, to change the name, he was the one who directly was involved and he uh, referred us to the High Economic Council of the country where we needed to go and do our presentation and get the approval for this change name because, of course, we didn't have a law that was regulating multiple chambers in Afghanistan. But of course, it was also then, as I said, we have to have strong arguments. We put together a very strong proposal and presentation, and we had established, of course, a strong allies of our own women business owners in the country to show that we are a group of strong business women and a large group of business women. We presented a number of facts and figures about business women in Afghanistan to also support our case. And this is how uh, we won in the High Economic Council to get our approval for functioning under the title Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And then when we went to the National Procurement Authority to present again this case of allocating contracts for business women in Afghanistan, again, we had collected a number of evidences and examples of other countries where they have already allocated a percentage of contracts on an annual basis to be given to women and minority uh, groups. And one of the big examples is, of course, United States, where they have 25% allocated to minority and women's businesses and SMEs. With all of that, when we went into the meeting and presented our case, this was their first reaction that you're the first group who have come so prepared that we cannot reject your request. And we have to take on this case and we, we will work on it and we will let you know how we will uh, change the national procurement procedure. And right after two or three months, it was March 2018, when they presented this as a gift to us, changing the national procurement procedure, adding 5% preferential clause for women in Afghanistan. Thank you, Manisha. This is quite inspiring. I'm sure many of our listeners out there uh, are quite inspired by your story. And it goes to show that when you have women in charge, a lot of things can happen. And this is something that is helping to transform women in business in Afghanistan. Now over to you, uh, Sansar. What does trade for peace mean to you? Wonderful. Thank you, Axel. So great to hear from you, Amanesia. Trade for peace means creating a platform so that other entrepreneurs, the youth, refugees, other people that are in Afghanistan have a platform in order to start businesses of their own. And the way that I think it's easiest to give those tools to people is first through internet access. So this opens up two doors, both supply and demand. Customers once they have internet access, can you know, find goods and services and order them online. And sellers want to sell to those buyers. They now have a platform to be able to reach more customers. In the old generations, you would just create a shop and sit there and wait for people to come to you. And if no customers came that day, that was pretty tough. But now the internet all of a sudden 
opens up the entire city, you know, all 34 provinces, all 400 districts, regional neighbors in the entire world in terms of being able to find customers as well as to be able to order supplies and goods and research and, and see what you're interested in. So the internet is an incredible platform. And with AfghanNet, we've been seeing you know, a dramatic increase in internet usage in Afghanistan. Double digits for sure every year. Last year was triple digits, but adding about a million new users to the country online. The second way is through providing ways to pay. So previously, you had to go again, to the store and pay cash for what you wanted and take it away. And there wasn't an easy way to transfer funds. A lot of the other traditional banking systems are not fully you know, penetrated across the country. Only about 5 or 6% of the population has a bank account, a traditional bank account. And so there's a, a huge opportunity for people to access the financial sector that previously they were you know, in the unbanked and they didn't have access to be able to buy things outside of people that they met in person or even sell to people. And for that, we've developed an incredible product called Hesab, where just with a click of a button, you can just enter the phone number of anyone in the world or anyone, particularly in Afghanistan, that you want to pay to. So you can top up your phone, you can pay your bills, you can send money to friends, family, to buyers. And if you're a merchant or if you're selling something, all of a sudden you have a new way to accept funds without having to meet them in person. And so it escalates it. So this is the second tool. Internet is the first tool. And then being able to access online electronic payment systems is the second X. The third is through education. And Afghanistan has gone through an incredible education transformation over the past 20 years and continues to grow. We've seen you know, a huge number of schools opening up, a huge number of uh, universities opening up, providing you know, more and more education in across diverse fields. And not only the local government curriculum, we were given a license for Mizan International School to have an international curriculum where you would learn based on a program called Oak Meadow from the United States and graduate, you know, learning multiple languages. So the next generation of leaders is fast developing and they're very rapidly you know, learning about new technologies, new opportunities, new payments, new markets, and opportunities to start you know, new ideas of their own that they're passionate about. The average age in Afghanistan or the median age is 18. And about 75% of the country is under the age of 25. So we have an incredibly young, energetic, excited population. This population is learning. They're being educated. They're having more and more access to the financial world. And they're having more access to the internet. These tools create opportunities for micro entrepreneurs, small businesses, medium-sized businesses to grow. And as we know from economics, that's the true engine of trade in the world. Absolutely. I was actually quite impressed to see how high mobile penetration was in Afghanistan. I think around 80%. There are about 26 million out of the 36 million uh, Afghan population that do have access to mobile phones. I think this presents uh, unique opportunities uh, for investors like yourself. But all of this is happening in an environment of insecurity. If you were to Google Afghanistan today, what you will see dominating the news are security challenges. I think what I would like to know and for our listeners is how has this impacted the companies you invest in in Afghanistan? You know, it's a fact that there are quite a number of security challenges in Afghanistan. But if you drive around Kabul 
you know, each year there's such a dramatic growth of new businesses. It's quite astonishing in spite of, you know, the, the challenges that are there. And so the road that I used to live on in Kabul, it's in Kartechar, in the southern part of Kabul, there was only one French bakery that was there when I was there for many years. And when I moved to a different neighborhood, every year I would go back to that area. And now that entire street, there's, I think, two different water parks. There's three bowling alleys, snooker clubs, and probably more restaurants than I can imagine. Probably, you know, at least 50 restaurants, cafes, all different things, all in that, just that one road that I used to live on, much less the rest of the city. So there's this, you know, incredible you know, excitement to start your own business. Instead of, you know, just sitting back and waiting for someone else to help you or feed you, Afghans by nature are very entrepreneurial. They would come up with any little opportunity to try to make a living and do so. And so that explosion has been there, but not only on the streets, online, especially during the pandemic, we've seen a great increase in online businesses. So click.af is, is one that's very popular. Another one is Sauda, which means groceries.af, that package goods and, and you know buy them in bulk and then sell them to, at very affordable prices and deliver it to your door. On Facebook, there's at least 20 different marketplaces that have been started and they do deliveries. Uh, we've been trying to support those and providing them a tool for delivery so that they can focus on their products. We provide them something called Bubar, where we have a little scooter or motorcycle that comes up, picks up their goods, delivers it to the customer, either a house or an office, and deposits the payment into their account. So these tools make it easier and easier for businesses to access markets. And it's no longer you know, a pipe dream to say, oh, you know, just download our app and we'll, we'll handle that. And people would say, oh, great. It's, it's convenient. It's faster. It's easier. And it's a way to actually overcome the security challenges that you mentioned. Because if you don't have to go out every day, you know, and travel long distances, you're reducing your risk, being able to shop and purchase and sell from the comfort of your own home or office. Manisha, are your members taking advantage of these new innovations? Do you see a trend among them uh, using these tools to expand their businesses? Yes. So we have two kinds of data on two sectors, women in the informal sector, those businesswomen who are not licensed, and those businesswomen who are licensed in formal businesses. The formal businesses, women are more younger in terms of age. They're more educated, sometimes higher than just high school, bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. And so they're also very good with technology and language like English, especially today's business language. We've seen increase also in use of technology, having access to smartphones, increase in use of social media for uh, marketing purposes and promotions. And as well as a number of our members have access platforms that Pakar uh, Sek mentioned, like Click.af. There is another one called Asil that's selling worldwide as well and are delivering on a subsidized basis. They've received a contract from DHL, both of these, Click.af and Asil. And so those two platforms, a number of women have accessed them already and they're selling their products worldwide. Thank you, Manisha. It is good to know that women are accessing the available technologies to sell their products worldwide. Now over to you, Sanzar. Is your company investing in any women-owned businesses in Afghanistan? Can you provide some examples? Sure, I'd be happy to. We have a number of female-owned businesses or businesses that you know has female leadership and shareholders with them. One of them that I really enjoy is called Cobble Reads. And Cobble Reads 
is a basically a bookseller. It's like Amazon for books in Afghanistan, or sometimes it's harder to find you know good books in the marketplace. But they bring you know the best sellers from around the world, and you can buy it online, and they'll deliver it to your door. And there's over 30 deliveries a day. So we're supporting them, and they are partially owned by a female leader. Our school itself is all female management, Mizan International School that we've you know invested on, and we we tried to create a uh, you know a very safe environment you know for that children by having female teachers as well, especially at the younger ages. In other sectors, particularly in fashion, there's a lot of interest in, you know, selling different types of clothing, not only within Afghanistan, but worldwide. And so there's, you know, gemstones and pottery and uh, jewelry and, and things like that. Some of them are in Kabul, some of them are in the south. So one of them was called Kandahar Treasure down in Kandahar that made, you know, fantastic, you know, handicrafts and, and clothing uh, around the world. So we always want to promote and we, you know, regularly, you know, hire within our firm as many, you know, female staff as we can because they they always end up being more reliable, more honest, more caring. The in- integrity is impeccable, and then they also have an impact in the rest of the the staff as well. The male compatriots, all of a sudden, the male team members seem to be dressing well and behaving more professionally and nicer, you know, with having a more diverse community there. So we directly see the benefits and look forward to continuing those in the future. Welcome back to Trade for Peace. As you know, Afghanistan became a member of the WTO on the 29th of July, 2016, sending a signal to the world that Afghanistan was ready for international trade and committed to the principles of transparency, predictability, and the respect for the rule of law. Then-President of Afghanistan, Dr. Ashraf Ghani, said in a meeting with the then-Accession Division Director, the late Dr. Chedu Osakwe, that, and I quote, I want to use WTO accession to implement market economy in Afghanistan, which is enshrined as the economic system in our constitution, end quote. Now over to you, Manisha. Have that vision and that remarkable achievement of the government of Afghanistan in terms of the accession to the WTO had any significant impact on your members of the Women's Chamber of Commerce and Industry in Afghanistan. Yes, Axel. We have been part of a number of policy change platforms. And because of the WTO accession, before that and now post-accession, our Ministry of Commerce especially, but also a number of other ministries, they have to go through policy reforms and procedures reforms. That's a huge opportunity for us now being part of those platforms to really reflect our concerns and interests and changing those policies and procedures. And we have done a number of them, of course, especially they they have become really women-friendly and we can take the benefit of those. And as well as uh, some of the procedures that are made um, easier and better in terms of uh, really clear. They were not very clear earlier. They were very complex and ambiguous, especially if we start with just registering a business in Afghanistan. The steps are decreased. The procedure is now simpler. Everybody understands. We have now intellectual property rights added to the registration department. There used to be a huge concern that women, especially with women businesses, because they're more in fashion and 
clothing, jewelry, and so on. And so they were so afraid about the designs that they were producing that their designs are usually um, stolen quickly and others start producing the same. So now we're encouraging them to register or to to patent it, to really uh, register their designs and make sure that if somebody else is making it, then they can go to um, their a commercial court and, you know, do whatever we do in other countries, which we have not started yet, all, uh, following those kind of things. So anyways, this has been useful. Yes, we see the impact and it's it's great. But uh, there's typically a fight to get a consuming population to buy local. Do you see more consumers buying made in Afghanistan products as a means of empowering the local entrepreneurs? Yes, I personally had the experience. So in 2012, when I started Wonderland Women Clothing Production with my sister and husband, at that time, we actually started this to be just a production house and we wanted to deliver to the retailers in Kabul market first. And of course, the aim was to reach out to all the country and decrease imports of clothing in Afghanistan. And so when we send our samples to the retail uh, shops in Kabul, they checked everything and they were like, okay, the design is perfect, fabric is perfect, the stitching is perfect. But as soon as they saw the label made in Afghanistan, they were like, oh, if you change the label to made in anything, anywhere, we'd be glad to sell your products. Otherwise, we will not sell it. And so because we were so strong with the vision that we had, we did not go to the retailers anymore. We started our own retail shop to sell our products. I can see change now from 2012 to 2020 and now 2021 already, there's a huge interest in especially buying clothing from these local producers, jewelry from these local producers, and a number of other home decorative items and so on. Uh, and of course, Afghanistan has always been famous for carpet and kalem and so on. So yeah, that's uh, no doubt we are all interested in buying those. But these other items are also, the interest is increasing and that seems to be better. Thank you, Manisha. Now, in terms of post-accession commitment, Afghanistan is a fragile and post-conflict country in constant state of insecurity. And so implementing uh, WTO commitments can be quite challenging for countries such as Afghanistan. But in your view, what do you see as the pressing challenges facing government that are impacting the private sector? And what commitments and recommendations would you make uh, to government and its partners to improve uh, the business climate in Afghanistan? Some of the major challenges for Afghanistan, even today, after 18, 19 years of international um, communities support to Afghanistan, remains the poor infrastructure. The poor infrastructure includes roads, transportation by road, we have to rely on at all times because of its lower cost, even within Afghanistan. So from a district to the capital of the province and from one province to another province and from all the provinces to the centers of the zones, like the bigger cities like Kabul, Herat, Balkh, Nengarhar and Kandahar, uh, we see challenges. And especially it's doubled and tripled for women as we have recently collected data also to produce a document called Women's National Business Agenda. So we are doing this to present women's businesses challenges to the government and international community and make this a roadmap for everyone to work with in the next uh, five to 10 years to improve business situation in Afghanistan for women. 
So this was all the time, like infrastructure, they even cannot travel from a district to their own capital of their own province. This is one of the top challenge. And we have put some recommendations to the government that the government and the local governments, especially the subnational governments, they need to really pay a lot of attention to their own improvements of their own city and should not wait for the central government to really give them plans and budget and so on allocations, but they have to lobby for it. And then we have a um, huge problem with electricity. The infrastructure of infrastructures, as our also president says it, we have huge problem with that. And again, this is really um, multiplied by women in terms of its challenge and, and hindrance for running a business because women's businesses are micro and many of them are small and we only have a few large businesses owned by women. So for micro and small businesses, it's very difficult to run it by a generator. So the cost was really high to run it by a generator or otherwise then they have to wait for uh, the government's electricity to be supplied on really few hours a day and then do their production and that's it. And the third one is, as I said, we have we have reached out to all the provinces, the subnational level uh, women uh, businesses, they feel marginalized. And so our recommendation to our national government and also the subnational level governments are to really be uh, proactive in terms of including business women in business conferences, business exhibitions, and contracts. Contracts are happening all, only in the central level. We need to also now go in the subnational level. A number of other challenges like access to markets and access to industrial parks. Industrial parks are being built right now only by government. We need to change this, which is there. In the policy, we have two, three types of way of building industrial parks, which is also private, but also private and public partnerships. And the government is only practicing at this moment, the um, government-only owned industrial parks, which makes it slower and having access to infrastructure in Afghanistan for businesses is also being slowed down. And then access to finance for women has a little bit improved. The interest rate has been lowered down for women. The earlier guarantee for women was for everyone. It was really over 150% of immovable properties. But today... For women, they have decreased it. Women can put their uh, movable um, assets as well as collateral for their loans, especially for the smaller amount that women are usually, um, they need to take it for their business expansion and so on. But still, we need to improve it. We, we need to spread it all around the country. It's very limited to few provinces in Afghanistan. So yeah, these are some top challenges, I would say. Thank you, Manisha. Now over to you, Sansar. The president's vision of using Afghanistan's accession to the WTO to implement a market economy. Have you seen any impact since Afghanistan joined uh, the WTO? We've seen a, a dramatic increase in exports to other countries you know, since the WTO accession, particularly in the dried fruits um, sector. And so many of our clients in dried fruits have done extraordinarily well uh, because the government set up what they called air corridors, which are subsidized flights to India, China, uh, Malaysia, you know, many other of these markets where Afghan dried fruits are, you know, incredibly valued and demand a very high price. And so with the transportation being subsidized, they found, you know, very good markets and excellent orders for those. USAID organized conferences in India over a period of three years and got you know, tremendous orders in the dried fruits sector, particularly from Afghanistan. And as they slowly reduced the subsidies, those orders continued to increase because the demand in the market there for Afghan dried fruits 
being, you know, organic and, uh, you know, so tasty and so wonderful, you know, is, is particularly uh, impressive. Now, you work in the investment space in Afghanistan. I'm sure our listeners would like to hear more about the investment climate post-accession. Have you seen uh, improvement in the investment climate? Are there still challenges? And if there are, what recommendations would you make to government and its partners to improve the investment climate? I actually agree completely with Manisha Jan's recommendations, particularly on infrastructure of roads, on electricity. And so if the government and the donors can, you know, focus as much as they can on tangible, hard infrastructure that lasts, that would be you know, incredible for the private sector. So even though e-commerce you order online still has to be delivered to you, you know, in person over the roads, which, you know, are deteriorating, you know, electricity, very difficult. And over the past many years, it's been uh, imported from our neighbors instead of invested in, um, you know, solar or hydro or, you know, all kinds of sustainable generation that will, you know, help us over the long term. Same with completing the fiber ring uh, around Afghanistan would help. So all of these infrastructure projects, they're challenges, but I want to emphasize that there are also opportunities. There are opportunities for business to see, hey, you know, there's a big demand for electricity. Maybe we can help fill that. There's a big demand for, you know, proper roads and tunnels. Maybe we can raise Sukuk type of government uh, bonds, you know, through a PPP with public-private partnership with the government and be able to meet that demand. Maybe we can, you know, invest in our own fiber optic network around the country. And businesses are starting to do that. So Afghan Wireless has its own internet fiber optic cable from Torham to Kabul now. And, you know, more businesses are setting up, for example, a solar power plant in Kandahar uh, recently is now online. Or a gas-powered refinery in Shibarhan in the north is providing electricity through a 30-year government. So the government is saying, okay, we understand we can't do everything. If the private sector can do it, we will help them with the offload. So we'll we'll do a 30-year contract so you don't have to worry about your market. We'll buy electricity from you. We'll buy, you know, these needs for you, creating that infrastructure environment, I think is the best way, you know, to enable and increase investment in the country. Thank you both for sharing your incredible journey in doing business in Afghanistan. I am sure Afghans in the diaspora are inspired by your story and I hope are encouraged uh, to explore investment opportunities in Afghanistan. Thank you for sharing with us today. You are listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. We will be right back after a short break. Welcome back to Trade for Peace. Now, to you, Sanzar, in our last episode... Deputy Director General Alan Wolf eloquently provided a historical narrative of how trade was used as an instrument for lasting peace after protracted and devastating wars. Today, Afghanistan continues to experience insecurity after four decades of conflict. Now, do you think improving trade through WTO accession reforms for economic transformation 
can be a sustainable poverty reduction strategy for lasting peace in countries like Afghanistan? Yes, but I would even go a step further. Not only that it can, but that it's the only way that I think that there's peace. We cannot have peace unless we have proper private sector taking the lead. The more we can provide jobs, the more people can have an opportunity to you know, create uh, you know, trade. That's the only road to peace that, that I can see. Some people say, oh, we need a, a peaceful structure or less insecurity in order to be able to encourage the private sector. I think it's actually the opposite. I think actually having a very strong private sector will create security because once you have jobs, people won't go to the battlefield. Once they have their own businesses, they don't. Once our neighbors are invested and are trading with us, they are less likely to you know, stir up trouble in Afghanistan. And then out of all the different opportunities, because Afghanistan is you know, the heart of Asia, as Alama Iqbal, the poet from Pakistan, used to say, or we're that, you know, the, the center of the Silk Road or that jigsaw puzzle with all these neighbors, you know, six, seven countries around us immediately, we can fit and be facilitate that trade from the gas-rich Central Asian countries down to, for example, the Pakistan, India that are gas and energy consuming from a lot of the, you know, the labor flows from a lot of technology flows, even connecting the big fiber internet highways that go east and west above us and east and west below us, but not north and south. So we can connect those highways. So all these opportunities for Afghanistan to become you know, that trade partner where we can help connect the world, whether it's through air traffic, whether it's through raw materials that we have, you know, over $3 trillion worth of precious stones, minerals, uh, hydrocarbons, and marble, all types of wonderful treasures uh, in Afghanistan. So the opportunity for trade is dramatic. And to me, that's the only road to peace in Afghanistan. And over to you, Manisha. What is your view on this? Our businesses in Afghanistan, the ones that have already invested, the current investors, they have expressed that their concern in Afghanistan is not security. They are ready to invest more. So, of course, the message is also to others that security may not be as much as they may think a problem for them. So we would like them to please come and invest and, and create uh, and contribute in, in the peace in Afghanistan. It's more the policies and procedures in the country. And those are also the good news is that those are also improving based on our, of course, WTO commitments and as well as other international um, conventions and so on that we have been part of. So things are improving. If things are improving in terms of policies and procedures, then Afghanistan is really a great place to invest in and a great opportunity for everyone uh, including, of course, Afghan diaspora in other countries to come. And we have great stories as well from Afghan diaspora. For example, I know an investor from the United States, an Afghan, who has invested in car making, in battery recycling, in battery production in Mazar-Sharif. And he's now making uh, both fuel, but also electrical vehicles uh, for Afghanistan's consumption. And uh, those vehicles are, of course, environment friendly, but at the same time, since they're installing solar panels on the top of the vehicles and with a battery, they can use them with a low um, cost. So there are great stories. Like also, Kokarsab is another great example who has returned and has invested in a number of companies in Afghanistan. We have the opportunities great. We need our Afghans to listen to these stories, to get to know about these stories, that we have a number of Afghans who uh, have been more courageous and have gone back to the country, have invested. And so we need them as well to come back to Afghanistan 
invest in Afghanistan and contribute to peacemaking in Afghanistan through trade and investment. Trade and investment for lasting peace in Afghanistan. Thank you, Manisha and Sansa, for encouraging others to invest in Afghanistan as a means of contributing to lasting peace in Afghanistan. Welcome back to Trade for Peace. Now, in our last episode, we had Ambassador Mohammed Kurban Hakjo, who was the former permanent representative of Afghanistan uh, to the WTO. Ambassador Hakjo talked about uh, Afghanistan and fragile and conflict-affected countries like Afghanistan and their struggle to break the stigma of their recent past. He talked about the challenges that came with their rebranding effort, given the frequent occurrences of instability in their countries and the impact such activities had on their transformation journey. But one thing he highlighted was that the contributions of their citizens are contributing to that transformation process. Today, we're honored to have two proud citizens of Afghanistan that are doing their part to rebrand their country. But you and I know it will take more Afghans like them for that transformation to happen. So I would like to use this opportunity to ask you both, what would you say to your Afghan brothers and sisters living in the diaspora that often turn on the news every day and see the images of insecurity. What would you say to them to encourage them to join the fight for the prosperity of an inclusive, tolerant, and democratic Afghanistan? I would like to start with you, uh, Sanzar. Well, there's two axioms that I like to mention when I talk to a lot of other Afghans outside of Afghanistan. One, that history repeats itself. And so we need to learn from that. And two, you know, with the greatest risk comes the greatest reward. So more risk, more reward. And especially for so many Afghans that are young and have so much, you know, ahead of their lives, they need to see Afghanistan in, in the bigger picture. When the Karzai government first came into power about 20 years ago, I met so many people that were saying, oh, I wish I had gone there just a few years earlier and, you know, the, the price of a house in Wazir Khan was $5,000. And, you know, I wish I'd invested in, in that time because now each house is a million dollars. You know, I would have done great. And maybe if I had just started a small business, uh, internet or telecom like Afghan Wireless did during that time, now it's one of the largest telephone companies in the country. And so people that are too narrow-minded and focused just on today, they might not see the bigger picture that uh, yes, there are insecurities, yes, there are challenges, but all of those challenges are really fantastic opportunities. And if we could you know, seize the moment now, if we could invest now, if we could take that risk now, there's a silver lining you know, behind every cloud. You know, th there's a light at the end of every tunnel, but it takes someone you know, to take that first step. In Japan, they say that the best time to plant a tree is yesterday, because by now it would have started growing. But the second best time to plant a tree is today, because uh, then you don't want you know, tomorrow to come and to say, oh, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would have done that. And so right now, Afghanistan is, is just really ripe for doing it. It is difficult, but that's exactly why it's ripe. And so investing now, planting a seed now, even if it's not very much, 
it will take years to grow and then definitely you'll, you'll bear the fruit of it one day. And over to you, Manisha, your final message. Great message from an investor himself. So for me, I would say that it's everyone's responsibility. We Afghans and those Afghans who have had the opportunity to leave Afghanistan at the time when it was not appropriate place for living, and they had the opportunity to come abroad, live abroad, improve their lives, have a better life for their children, invest, and have the ability today to go back to Afghanistan and invest in Afghanistan, why not? Because still there are around 30 million population, they're living still in Afghanistan. If they're living in Afghanistan and we have majority of the population, a young population ready to work, ready to explore their creativity. So why don't we go? Why don't our brothers and sisters who have the possibility to go back and invest and and use all the opportunities in Afghanistan, why not? I would really encourage them and I would really also request them to uh, look at this opportunity and do not only rely on the news and what they hear. Please go and check for yourself. We all are living there and we, we work there. Kokarsa is a great example again. And let's check it for ourselves. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for your work in Afghanistan. I do believe it is champions and trailblazers like yourselves that inspire others to look at their own countries and look for new opportunities to see how best they too can contribute to their country's transformation. In our book, you are truly trade for peace champions. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you, Sansa. We will continue to support you however we can. And I hope your message resonates with Afghan all across the world that in spite of what they read on the news, they should buy a ticket and land in Kabul because there are opportunities there that will allow them to contribute to Afghanistan's transformation. Thank you both for your work and thank you for the inspiration you presented today. Thank you for listening to Trade for Peace. This has been our Stories from the Front Line segment. In today's episode, we touched on the crucial roles of young entrepreneurs in the process of peace building through trade integration, the challenges they face, and what can be done to address them, and the role of the WTO membership in addressing the economic causes and consequences of instability. Through the insights of Ms. Manisha Wafek and Mr. Sanza Cocker, it is clear that the private sector involvement is critical for achieving sustainable peace through trade. Manisha and Sansa, thank you both for joining us today. You have been listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. Subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. For more episodes, visit us at www tradeforpeace.podbean.com Be sure to tune in every other week for new episodes. Thanks for listening to Trade for Peace. Trade for Peace.